Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 109 for Monday, April 3rd, 2017. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Los Gatos, California, it's Paul Kent. How goes it, Mr. Kent? It's going good, man. I did my uh, I did my big solo gig the other night. Uh, your Springsteen solo gig? Yeah. So how'd that go? Dude, it was awesome. It was awesome. so cool. It was uh, very rewarding, very creatively rewarding, you know, personally rewarding. So I want to tell you all about it. You want to start with that? Yeah, let's do it. Sure. Yeah. All right. So, you know, to back up, four months ago, I announced I was going to do this. And, um, you know, I kind of did some save the date things. And I started to go through rehearsing, kind of picking out what material I liked the best, just conceptualizing the show. Sure. And that process kind of was ongoing and ongoing, constant refinement of the set list, you know, stuff that I could sing comfortably, you know, or or where and when I wanted to stretch. Um what kind of mix of sounds it was going to be. So remember, this was conceived as a solo acoustic thing. Right. And, you know, one guy strumming a guitar for two hours would probably not be the most interesting thing. But, um, you know, the nice thing about playing Springsteen music is he has a couple of unique uh, tonal variations on his acoustic guitar style. He has a couple of finger-picking things he does. He has some straight, you know, cowboy strumming stuff. And he's got some real percussive interesting things that go along. And so I was going along... And, you know, constantly working on the set list, constantly refining, 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 and, you know, picking material that resonated with me. And to me, this was an exercise in truth. You know, this was an exercise in what music could I inhabit and emote the best and actually hold people's attention for a couple hours. And, you know, the interesting thing is uh, when you don't do this all the time in this way, I mean, I play a lot. Sure, but it's this is totally different. Yep. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, this is not me having to entertain and hold people's attention because it's all about me. So, you know, this was keenly on my mind as I was developing things. What what songs would be uh, interesting? What songs would I connect to in a meaningful way? Um, and so that that was really fun. The whole, you know, playing with the material and, you know, it's, it's like moving things around on a chessboard to get them to get yeah. it right, working with the set list, you know, create kind of the flow that I wanted and the moods that I wanted. And, you know, and, and, you know, I very consciously wanted to start in a certain way, you know, have certain areas that were fun and uplifting, have certain areas that were thoughtful and a little deeper and definitely make sure you have some of the greatest hits that are in there. So the whole working with the content was, was really joyful for me because it's, so, you know, it's the music that's in me. I want to, I want to dig in, I want to dig into that, but, but I don't want to miss the conversation also about promoting the event because it, it st- stepping out of the artist side of it for a second, right? Everything that we've talked about so far is really about, not about marketing this event, but is about marketing the next one, right? Because yeah. no one knows 
this stuff until they come to see you. And then that helps inform them as to whether or not they want to repeat this experience if, in fact, you offer this or something like it. So, I, so right. So I want to talk about the, the marketing of, of this one. But while we're here, let's dig in. So what was your thought for the flow of the evening? I mean, do you, you come out do you come out strong with with tunes that are going to connect to people and then sort of take them on a journey or do you ease into the journey? What, what how did that yeah. go? So, you know, I started with just one of my personal favorite favorites, uh The Promised Land, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a classic anthemy thing. Very fun to play, perfect in my vocal range, got me warmed up, got the house got the got the show warmed up and it was and it was a good opener, you know, kind of Mostly, not the highest tempo thing I did all day, but but a pretty high tempo thing. Yep. Okay. Then, so coming out of the gate with something strong. Yeah, sure. and it served yeah. a lot of purposes. It was right. a good, you know, it was a good, meaningful song to kind of set the the tone for things. Uh, again, warmed up my voice really well. Got kind of the room warmed up really well, and so we got going. And, and the first song came out blazing. It was good. And then I did a couple songs from early in his career, and then um, I wanted to do a whole section on kind of the the fun and humor that is in a lot of Springsteen's music. I mean, I think he's mostly known for kind of these kind of big anthemic, you know, type things. But, you know, almost every album he puts out has got one little detour that reminds you that this is supposed to be about fun, too. And so I dove into a couple of those songs. And um, I had one song where where Mike Mendoza from the House Rockers came up and and played a, a really blaring sax solo, you know, because you got you do a Bruce show. You got to have a little, you gotta, yeah, yeah, right. little yeah. bit of big man, right? Yep. So we did that. Um, and then Steve and Mary Ellen uh, came up and they sang Fire, which is part of our trio stuff. And we do a, a, a three-part harmony of Pink Cadillac that's really nice. And so they came up and were part of this kind of fun section. And, uh, oh, by the way, Steve, you know, my partner in Acoustic Manus, he offered to guitar tech for me all night. He was awesome. It was so valuable. And when I talk a little bit about the details of this, you, I'll get a little further into what you learn by doing this. But um, having a guy keeping my guitars in tune because I had three different guitars I was using, um, a, a regular six string, an altered tuning six string and a 12 string. So he was all over that. Wow. And really, That's really, really nice to have. Oh, uh, man. To, oh, have, to have that taken care of for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's like when and, I came out to play with you and, and I had Daniels. To, yeah. Yeah. It's, it I is mean, a luxury. You feel like a rock star when someone's, you know, looking over those those little gritty things so you can just just perform. You know, when I. um in the early day, I, I, I through a mutual friend, I got to know Boyd Tinsley, the the uh, fiddle player in the Dave Matthews Band, right? And and I remember, you know, we would go to shows and and we would kind of we'd see him every six or eight months, and that band sort of rose very very quickly. So every six months was sort of a huge change in in whatever was going on in his career, right? I mean, it was just like massive, you know. First time I saw him, I was like, yeah, we released our EP. And then this, like two weeks later, I saw him. He's like, we've sold 100,000 copies of our EP on our own. Record labels are giving us blank sheets of paper with signatures at the bottom. You know, <laughs> yeah, so this was good. But I remember one of the last times I saw him, they, you know, they had like gotten on the road or whatever. And we went back to my buddy Brad's house to, to, to hang out and jam. And so he brought his fiddle with him. And, uh, you know, he he opens up his fiddle case and he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, look, the, the you know, to, for those of you that don't know, to, when you play um, a stringed instrument like that, you keep a, a little it's like a little bottle of water, but it's a humidifier inside your case to keep it from to keep the instrument from drying out. And uh, and his his was almost out of water. And he's like, oh, I got to take I got to remind my my guy to, you know, to, to <laughs> fix that. And so I asked him, I was like, what was that like? And he says, yeah, he says, you know. 
it, initially we weren't into it, but the record company insisted that we all have techs. And he said exactly what, you know, what you've noticed here and what I noticed with Daniel, it, it immediately allows you to stop thinking about all of that stuff and just focus all of your effort on the thing you do, right? Because anybody, not anybody, but, you know, their idea was anybody can keep a guitar in tune. You got to be focused 100% on delivering the performance that we need you to deliver. And so it makes it a difference. Division of labor thing that really yeah. allows focus. Yeah. So it, it does make sense. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It made, it made a lot of difference for me because literally, you know, yeah. just – Handing me a guitar that was always in tune, right? Saved time, saved professionalism on stage. It doesn't distract you. That's the right. thing: is you can stay in the moment and just grab it, and okay, and you just trust that it's you know it's going to work and everything's yep. good. Yeah. So yeah, to finish the thought thing. on the sorry, finish yeah. the thought on the set list. So then the middle of the show was you know a, kind of a good mixture of many songs from various different albums. You know, um, it happened to be the weekend of the 25th anniversary of Lucky Town and Human Touch, the two albums that he did without the E Street Band. And I did a couple from those, you know, for that, you know, and, uh, you know, it was just kind of a good mixture. It was, it was two, uh, two solid hours, a little over two hours. And, um, and then the end of the show, you know, we, I, I, I'm particularly into the, the album, The Rising now. So I did three particular songs from The Rising was about, 80% of the way through the show. Yep. Then, um, you know, the river, um, 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 Atlantic city kind of big, you know, big emotional and energy songs at the end. And then, um, I ended with, uh, thunder road. And if I got a, if I got a encore was born to run. So, you know, the big anthems yeah, of course. the show. So yeah. it worked great. I, I sold about a hundred tickets. So there were about 125 people in the room and it was, which would made it a full room. Um, it was a cool venue, funky downtown San Jose venue called the Art Boutique. Um, it's a comic book store in the front and then this performance space in the back that's actually was really nice. And uh, I would say I sold about 75% of the tickets to people who knew me, which was cool. Um, and 25% to people who just picked up on the marketing and came, which was also cool that, you know, that, that there's someone out there who wanted to see me or see this was uh, it really had my head reeling because, you know, let's talk about that marketing. It was such an interesting roller coaster, actually, of getting through this. So right. we sold about 50 tickets pretty quick. So I knew there would be somebody there. And, and then, you know, when I had my family and, and close friends on the guest list, you know, at the end that, that uh, I knew there'd be some people there. But then we got to the end and, you know, like I said, we pretty much filled the room, which was really great. And people seemed to love it. So, A – what I had hoped was is that um, they would listen to the stories that I was telling, and it, that seemed to work. So you know, okay. whether it was good luck, good planning, you know, whether I proved myself right or whatever, um, the the string of songs told a good story, and that seemed to captivate people. I got a lot of nice comments. I got a lot of nice comments from musicians. Um, I inspired a couple of musicians that I work with that they would like to you know try and do one of these uh, these special shows as well, which you know I, I think is great. Um, but the marketing was the, was the thing. Was it was I did a couple emails to the big house rocker mail list. Okay, that um, makes sense. Sure. Yep. And I did. I put about I'd say total about seventy five bucks into Facebook marketing. Facebook marketing is getting to be an interesting trap because it's so easy to do it, and um, it's almost like setting up a Facebook event now where you just feel like you have to do it. And you know, uh, I. I'm still skeptical about, skeptical about the value of Facebook advertising. You know, it may have brought some. And remember, this event was was marketed 
by the venue as well. And the guy from the venue said they got several calls because they put it on, the, on their newsletter. Sure. And, uh, and, it was, and it was tickets were sold on Eventbrite. So, um, you know, my, my marketing plan on Facebook was to, was to tag people who identify with Springsteen in some way 25 miles around the venue. Okay. Yep. Seems like pretty pretty good idea, but you know, for the seventy five bucks, I think I got, I think I got fifty clicks or something like that. So it's over a buck a click. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not happy with it, and I continue to be not happy with it every time we do it. But it's starting to feel like it's so easy to do. You just got to do it on the hope and prayer that it's going to return something. So I think we should do another show digging deeper into Facebook metrics and and you know where the opportunity because on the surface it's like you know. If you can get enough people's eyeballs on something, you should be able to get some kind of return. That's the basic premise of all this type of stuff. But- well, it's the right people's eyeballs, right? And I've done – we do quite a bit of Facebook marketing with posts at uh, at the Mac Observer. So a very different thing, right? Because what our goal is to get these – may, but maybe it's not a different thing. Our goal is to get these – this whatever it is, this post, into the hands of the people that are going to then choose to share it with others. So – my opinion about Facebook's um, suggestions as to whom you target is that they are not just too broad, but way, way too broad. We've found getting extremely targeted and focused is the key. And the more you're able to do that, and you're not always able to do it, but the more you're able to do that. Like, for example, when we did that interview with Jan Hammer, right? I... uh I, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to target people that were interested only in Jan Hammer and Mahavishnu Orchestra. That was it, right? Yeah. And so I start doing it, and Facebook's like, don't you want to target people that are interested in you know, jazz fusion and this, that, and the other thing? It's like, no, I want the people that see it to share it with all of those people. I, you know, I need to go after the mega fans and, and get it out that way. And uh, and and it worked, and that that that's sort of the the only formula that has worked. But it doesn't always work. It, you know, it's there's no guarantee with any kind of advertising that it's going right. to work, right? Right, right? But but it's that hyper targeting, and it's funny because when when you mentioned that you were kind of having you know mixed results with this, to me, you'd sent me a text, and I was like, wow, it's funny because literally ten minutes before I got your text. A Facebook ad reminded me that there's this Rush tribute band playing around me somewhere in May. And it was like, oh, Lucas and I and Lisa should go see that. And I just bought it, you know, but I'd seen it like five times before I was like, dang it. That's right. I got to go get those tickets. So let's just think about this. Think about the math, right? Yeah. So if I want to sell 100 tickets. Yep. How many exposures? Just just fill in the blanks for this, Dave. So what is that? 10,000 exposures to get to get a hundred clicks to get. Yeah. Well, let's assume that every person that that's going to buy a ticket will through Facebook is only going to buy that ticket after they see the ad at least five times. Right. Right. So that's somewhere between 500 and a thousand exposures to exactly the right people. Right. And so, you know, you can't get to exactly the right people. So yeah, multiply that by 10, maybe even 20. And now you're beginning to get, you know, cast the right scale. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. So anyway, here's the last part of the marketing story. So as we got down to the last week, so I did, you know, several posts, several reminders that helps. Right. Yes, so that's basically totally. marketing to your own, your, your own network. Right. Which is the best network, by the way, to market <clears throat> yep, to. But absolutely. Yes. Yep. 
but it's not, it's not, it's usually not enough. It, it, it's the best network, right? But it's not, it's not going to fill every room you're going to be in. So right. <clears throat> the last part of this is I actually took to the tact of the music loving people in my network. I actually sent a personal Facebook message to, that's the key. and that's where the yeah. story gets very interesting. Yep. <clears throat> so here's the deal. You are immediately humbled and reminded about your relative place in the world. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm going to bear my soul a little bit here. So, you know, <clears throat> um, th- I, I announced this four months ago. Right. In the time since I announced this, a couple other, you know, bands that are known in my area uh, booked gigs for the same night as they would. You know, everybody's got to work. Right? Yeah, of it's not course. right. They're not going to. Yeah. And you then can't fault them for that. Right. And then, you know, the the um, the battle rages on for, you know, the same fan groups, hearts and minds. Yep. Right. So I was out first and I, you know, put some stuff out and then a couple other bands who had their, you know, they started to market their stuff. And they, I would imagine for the average music consumer around here, they were like, what the heck is going on? Because it was clear that that, that um, it, this was a little bit more traffic and a little bit more. <laughs> I don't want to say desperation, but uh, there was a little bit more intensity in the, hey, we got a show coming up, right? So yep. so that's going on. And then, like I said, so so the, the really humbling part was, so I'm going to go out and let people know personally. I'd lo- and it was very simple. It was like, hey, I got this special gig. It's a big night for me. I'd love it if you come. Is pretty much what it was, right? Yep. The number of people with birthday parties to go to. <laughs> I'm going to be out of town. I've got family in town. Oh, um, I already made a commitment to this other gig that I was going to. And like I said, it's um, – you know, that one-to-one personal putting yourself out. And again, the temptation is to get, almost get pissed off, right? The, the temptation is like, you know what? I, I bleed, you know, to try and put on great shows for you guys. And I'm saying this is this one. And, yep. you know, people are saying. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't actually say this. This is what the, the internal monologue is. Exactly. Yeah. And, right. then, and, and so, you know, it, it was very humbling, the, the amount of people who said, who said they couldn't make it or wouldn't make it, yep. one of those two. Um, but then I, you know, my mind goes to, well, A, I am now determined to put on the, the most kick-ass show I can do. So these people will hear that they missed something. They and missed maybe out. That's the they'll, key. They'll yep. pay more attention next time. Yep. You know, it was all – but it was like a lot of very, very real. Like, well, you know, I'm just a cover guy. You know, I'm doing better than some, not as good as others in this area. And, uh, you know, me doing something is not going to mean that much to the average people who are uh, general music fans to some, it did. And to those people, I'll, you know, who were in that room, it was incredibly gratifying. And, you know, I, I, I just am so appreciative to have that support, but you do get a very clear and immediate understanding of your relevant standing with some people versus other people mm-hmm. or some groups of people versus other sure. people. Yep. And it's a very, 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 very humbling, <laughs> humbling thing. So, so- so, so a lot of emotions good. go through this because yeah. you're putting yourself out there. You know, no, I don't you, have a publicist. I don't have a you know a manager. Right. I'm just I'm just marketing a show that I want people to come to, so I don't fall flat on my face. But that personal request, it's funny. Anytime we've got a you know a fling gig, especially when when you know there's there's something going on like a fling fest or, or something where it's a, a little bit in our minds anyway higher stakes, right? It means more to us. Uh, Russ is the first to remind every single one of us. He's like. It's great. Go share it on your social media or whatever. You have to expect everyone to ignore that. Yep. You know, you the only way that you're going to get people to actually make a decision whether or not they're going to come to this event is if you meet them in person and ask them or failing that, send them either an email or a text or a Facebook message personally, not to a group, not to, you know, don't just put it on your wall. Do that, too. But 
You have to reach out one on one is is the thing. And he's totally right about it. You know, but it but it sucks because, A, to your point, you know, you're. You, you know, you're, you're you're exposing yourself a little bit. You're you're Absolutely. you're exposing a vulnerability a little bit. But simultaneously, it takes a lot of time to go reach you know a hundred people or 150 people or whatever that number is. Even 25 people, it's like oh yep, you can copy and paste, but you got to be careful. You know, it still comes across as a little personal and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. So the one last part of marketing that really is the one we started with is the the marketing at the gig for the next one right putting on a good show giving people something to talk about is the key but there are things and i i sort of I, i'm going to leave this out there loosely and maybe we revisit it at some point but there are things you can do at your gig to encourage people to tell others what they missed right you, you know you might want your cameras for this one doing something unique that, you know, makes people say, oh, I want to, you know, I want to take a picture of that. I want to take a video of that and share it. That that kind of a thing is really the best way to build that buzz for the next yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was fortunate. A lot of good friends were taking videos. The venue actually has a guy, interesting business plan. He just he has a deal at the venue. He comes in, he videos the show. And then if you want to pay him, you pay him. Right. You know, it's kind of the honor system. So mm -hmm. the guy makes his money. It's just it's a college kid. Sure. Um, a lot of pictures were taken. You know, there's been a lot of posts. Um, the concept about starting to promote the next one. Well, that that would require a level of organization, which I simply do not possess at this time. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is it takes a lot of work. Right. But <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't have another one to announce. And so, right, you know, right. uh, and again, here's the other part of it. The going back to the creative part of it. It was incredibly. Um, it was wonderful to actually really narrow into the creative part of this, mm. not thinking about the marketing stuff. Like I was very determined sure. to be in the moment of these songs and sing the stuff. And so, like I said, Steve doing the guitar tech stuff was huge because it even freed me up even more. But the concept of selling the next show, which, you know, we're as musicians, we're supposed to be doing right. We're always yep. supposed to use what we have to leverage the next thing we're doing. Right. And, and uh, you know, it, it's a personal difficult thing for me because I do all the work for my bands and you know my personal stuff. Yeah. So so I almost insist that that stage time is blocking out the rest of the world. It's not huh. the smartest thing in the world. Right, right. But you right? gotta have something where well, it's like, just you know, that's the payoff. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um so yeah, um yeah the smartest thing would be it was such a good hit and a lot of people already asking me you're gonna do it again, you can do it again. The people who missed it are asking you know, that's good. Gonna happen again. So th there was that. But I would just say overall, the message is it was as a creative endeavor, it was incredibly satisfying and rewarding, you know, to really like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to look at the business aspects of it, but I'm also going to really, really shepherd the creative aspects of it. And I'm going to do the best show I can. I'm going to try and hold people's attention for two hours. I'm not stuck in the corner in a restaurant somewhere. I'm not background music while people are trying to find love in a bar. Right. I mean, I'm I'm going to you know try and give these people an experience. That was my whole thinking, my whole you know goal to doing this. In the same way that I have received that experience many times. So um, uh, that part of it was awesome. The marketing part of it. You know, I still got to get away from it a little bit and get back to balance on, on understanding it. At the end of the day, I filled the room. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of people I wished were there were not there. But a lot of people who, you know, I really value as friends and fellow musicians did come out and have given me a lot of props for it. And that's amazingly rewarding as well. So it's a roller coaster of stuff like any of these, you know, things when, it, you know, it's you on a stage and people 
choosing to look at you or not look at you, that uh, by definition is going to have a lot of emotion associated with it. But right. all in all, if it's uh, you know if you can. I think it's a it's a really good thing to do. It's good for your local music scene. It's good for you as a creative individual. Um, you know, I was really focused on my playing, and I think I had a really good night on guitar. It was a lot of words to to recognize. And, and actually, the last thing I'll share with you on the on this, um, a lot of the music is just it's the stuff that I've listened to my whole life. And when I just first started playing with it, it just flowed out of me. I realized there was little words here or there in various songs that I never really learned right in the first place. And the wrong word was stuck in my head. And I knew that there would be Springsteen fans there checking every word. And so I better have it right for this. And so I tried to polish that over as best as I could. I give myself a good B plus on that. I had a pretty, I had a pretty A uh, night playing guitar, hmm. um, but about a B plus night uh, on remembering words uh, or remembering the things that I told myself I needed to remember. Right. Right. So overall, right. pretty good. But um, here's the thing. Like, like you and I have smiled and laughed about this many times. No matter how well you know something, as soon as you doubt yourself and you go to your head, you're oh, dead. Oh, it's over. Oh, <laughs> you're you done. Can't. No, you're, you're done. The only advice I have, and, and I, I, I say this, uh, I mean, well, I'm going to say it. I think it's only for the seasoned pros, but it might work for anybody. Uh, and certainly if you're in the moment – and and you all else is lost. Try this because you got nothing else to lose uh, that I found works when I'm totally at a loss for what is, I, I, you know, if you're at a loss for what's the second verse, the easy thing is you just sing the first verse again. Right. But if you're at a loss for what the first verse is or what the next line is, I have found and this works more often than not, although it's scary as heck, is you go up to the mic and I start singing the note and Often out comes Great the words. Connect. That's cool. Right? Because you know they're in your head somewhere and you just need to get out of wherever your head is yeah. and, and just let it happen. Right? Because when it's happening, you're not thinking about each word. You're thinking about how to form the note and staying in tune and like all these other things. The words are just automatic and they're there. If you, Assuming they're there. Now, I mean, if it's a song you tried to learn 10 minutes ago, well, sorry. But – you know, if it's a song you don't know it. If it's right. ten minutes ago, it's, you haven't learned it yet. You haven't learned it, right? But if it's a song you know and you're just spaced on it, I do it. I just go up and start singing the the melody, and more again, more often than not, it comes out. Now, sometimes it will be the third verse that comes out instead of the first, or you know, whatever that is. But but yeah, it generally works. And I discovered that actually on stage with uh, with the MacWorld All Star Band once. We were playing a show at Slim's, and I couldn't remember the words to. Uh, I think it was it was I can't remember the song now, but I think it might have been like Route 66 or something, you know, yeah. a song that I know. And it was like, crap, you know, there's 800 people here or whatever it was. Well, I had three pieces of paper on the floor in front of me. I had a set list with uh, where I capo yep. and, if, if, you know, which guitar I use. So I had that. I had um, a set list that had the first line to every song because usually – I, yeah. I freeze in the beginning, yes, right? right? And once once I'm off to the races, it's pretty good. Um, but and I only had to refer to that one time, and it was and again, it was a funny thing. You play, and it, you, there's a little voice in your head goes, "You don't know the first line to the song," and yeah. then you then you're convinced you don't know the first line of the song. That's and then yeah, yeah, and then the third piece of paper was just there was um, one section of one song I needed some changes to, and. Uh, and some of those words, all I had to do was put the word down there and, and yeah. you know, look down. And so that got me through, you know, most of the rough spots that I had to worry about. Oftentimes, just the act of creating that ahead yep. of time is yep. enough. And and knowing that the crutch is there if you need it, 
um, again, you got it's it, like having lyrics or charts or whatever it is, any any kind of crutch on stage. It can be very comforting because then you're just not worried about it. You're like, aha, yeah, brain, I got you beat because I got the words written over there. But if you like stare at them the whole time, that's not all that entertaining. So yeah. you got to be careful not to just focus on that. But yep, yeah, yep. it's nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so the last, the very, I promise is the last part. I, I could talk <laughs> about this for three three hours. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, it was like something weird will come out of your mouth for who knows why, right? Yep. And And then your brain says, oh, what else don't you know? And then you you start on a little bit of a mental journey and and uh, and you got to get spiraling down the toilet yeah. bowl. That's right. Yeah, you're, well, you're in your head at that moment. So uh-huh. that's that's something you got to have your own tactics and techniques to do it. Whether it's taking a pause, strumming a couple extra you know chords before you go into something, whatever it is. The last or thing start I did telling say, a story. You, you know, I mean, I've seen I've seen pro performers do that. They just like so launch. they catch their thought. Yeah, yeah. It's just like you know what? Let's let's let me distract myself by doing this thing that also happens to be entertaining. That's right. Yeah. So just the logistics of things is the only other thing I want to talk about. And so okay. um, this is live performance, and again, it's different than you know being background music somewhere or being the dance band somewhere. Yeah. You know, everything is about you. And so you know, I was conscious of this going in, uh, but you can't. Uh, or, well, you can, and you need to try to plan for everything. I had one guitar that had some intonation issues that I didn't pay enough attention to in advance. So I had two other guitars set up and was pretty confident that the third one was fine. Of course it wasn't fine. No. So I had some intonation issues. So luckily again, I had Steve there and, um, he just had me use his guitar and, and we, once we figured out that's what was going on, but then little things that were going on, like, I, you know, I, I used a harmonica rack. Uh, around around my neck and um, I went to loosen it and of course the screw fell out and fell on the floor and you know the the rack wouldn't stay up and everything so just little moments like that I dropped a pick once you know these things when you're playing in a bar band are you know they're not great but but uh, they don't bring the show to a halt but when all eyes are on you it's these little things and and uh, part of Part of the fun of preparing for this was really thinking through the professionalism. Um, and I missed something. So, you know, I, like I said, I had three guitars and one of them was going through an effect box. And um, but just the actual mess that three guitar cables, you know, as you keep putting a guitar back in the in in the rack and then picking the next next guitar up and making sure that you're not going to tangle the cables up, you know, and, and you know pull the whole thing down. It's little things like that that you think through that um, really make a difference. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm going to imagine most people listening to this, they're musicians, they can perform their way th- through everything. But it is a little bit of a different thing and because then all of a sudden it feels very magnified. So when, when that screw fell off my harmonica rack and it fell down on the floor, you take that brief second, should I bend down and pick it up or should I just leave it and go? Or, you know, do I want to play harmonica later in this show? You know, there, there's all those types of things. Um, so thinking through, you know, the the... the the, the gig readiness of all of your gear, every, you know, yep. your, every effect pedal, your strings, your guitars, your harps, your harp racks, your microphones, you know, all that type of stuff. That is part of this. If you want to get into doing these kind of special shows and, you know, this is where you remember it's not as easy as it looks. Right. 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 Making sm- making something look seamless. And you know this from your theater stuff, right? Well, I was just going to say, you know, especially when something drops on the floor the, the, and this I've totally learned from theater is unless it's going to totally interrupt you to pick it up, pick it up. Because if you noticed it fall, everybody else did too. And now they are obsessed with this thing that's on the floor (laughs) that shouldn't be right. No. And it's totally distracting to everyone in the room. 
and uh, and 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 anybody that's that's performed in theater and been trained in theater will have been taught if you drop something, pick it up like a normal human would, because everybody knows you dropped it. You cannot pretend you can't undrop this thing. Right. You know, so just pick it up. It's no big deal. And and you'll see this when you go see theater shows. Now that you've heard this, you'll see it happen all the time. And when when a when you've got a pro on stage and something drops, they'll pick it up. You won't even really notice. You'll think it's just like normal in their character. Yeah. But when you don't have a pro on stage and they drop something, suddenly every line that they say, everything, every song they sing after this thing, it is totally irrelevant because every single person in the crowd is focused on this stupid little thing that's on the floor. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. So, again, it's just thinking through everything that can go wrong and applying Murphy's law that it probably will go wrong. Right. Right. uh, You know, that's that's part of this. But it's also part of the fun because, again, a seamless, professional, beautiful show that looks so natural in all ways. That's really the result of hours and hours and hours of planning um, is the goal. And, you know, that that's why people rehearse things. That's you know, that's that's different. So all in all, great experience. Learned a lot, you know. Would love to do it again in a while. Um, I, I think I inspired a couple of my friends to try doing this. Uh, the fans seem to really like a different vibe for going out and listening yeah. to live music. So, you know, it's, it's not a restaurant. It's not a bar. It's not a, you know, it's it's a performance space. And, you know, the, the vibe of the performance space lent to the overall evening's effectiveness. And so. Well, I can't just, wait to see videos from this and all right, pictures cool. and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to jam with some friends the other night, Paul, and uh, it, it's actually a friend's band, this band called C-Spot that uh, that uh, has played with us at, at Fling Fest and uh, great band. Uh, my buddy Dean, keyboard player in this band, and uh, and they're actually in need of both a drummer and a guitar player. Um, now, for some reason, they didn't ask me about this months ago when they knew their drummer was leaving. And uh, and so now when they asked me. If I was interested, the answer was yes, but I can't join because I just committed to Uptown Celebration and, uh, you know, I can't overdo it. Right. Like that would be a bad thing at this point. But um, but he said, yeah, okay, fine. He says, what are you doing Thursday night? He said, no pressure, but we are auditioning a guitar player and it would be great to have a drummer there because their drummer has already moved away. And that's the problem is the guitar player and their their drummer are moving out of the area. So or did the, the drummer did the guitar player is. So I went and jammed with them. And yeah. the guitar player that they had come in was not the right guy for this band. Um, he had some equipment issues. So audition, right, Having being able to be a fly on the wall for someone else's audition. I had no skin in this game. It wasn't my <laughs> band and it wasn't my audition, you know. Um, and, and, and I didn't even need to know the tunes because they didn't even give me a list of songs ahead of time. So, like, there was nothing I could do that would be considered wrong, short of perhaps taking off my clothes and streaking around the room. But, you know, it's rock and roll. That might have been okay. Um, but, uh, but this guy showed up now I get there and, uh, and it, we're there. I get there maybe 15 minutes before we're supposed to start. They told me there was a kit there, but they warned me. They're like, it's not the best kit. So I brought a snare drum and, and, uh, my cymbals. Cause they told me to do that. And actually my buddy Dean brought, brought a stool for me, which I needed. So I go in and I'm like, I, as soon as I get there and like, well, there's 15 minutes. So I better go. I say hi to the people. I know the guys in the band and, and the woman in the band, Suzanne is a, their singer. And uh, I say hello to the, the guitar player that was auditioning. And then I go and get, I get busy because I got to be ready in 15 minutes. So maybe 20 minutes later, because it's rock and roll, everybody, uh, you know, comes in and into the room where they're, they're going to play. And it's time to play and I'm ready to go. And this guitar player plugs into his amp and it doesn't work. 
And he's like, oh, he's like, ah, maybe I, it's a cord or this, that, the other thing. And it's, I'm like, what have you been, you were here before me. <laughs> what have you, like, you're auditioning here. Don't you, it was just, I, I don't know what went through his head. I didn't ask him these questions because it wasn't my place to. But that's what's running through my head. It's like, dude, you want to give yourself the best leg up, not only so that this band is impressed by you, but so that you don't, to our earlier point, get inside your own head and really, you know, totally like screw this thing up, which is exactly what happened. So it took him like five minutes. He's messing around. The amp won't work. Different chords. Finally, it's well, plug into the PA. And so we do that. And there's a hum. And finally, he says, why don't you guys just play a song without me? I'll figure this out. OK, well, their, their old guitar player was there. Their departing guitar player, I should say, uh, was there. So we played a song. Now, of course, he's going to play it perfect in the eyes of the band because that's what they're used to. Whether it's perfect or not is irrelevant. It's, you know, that they weren't looking to replace him. They have to. Right. So we do that. Finally, this this guy gets gets sound happening through the PA or whatever it was. It sounds fine. And uh, and we start playing and he doesn't really know the songs. They're, they're like, well, you said you, you knew this song. He's like, well, I know it like like I've heard it, but I don't know it. Like, OK. Like, and I was just like sitting there like, really, that's that's interesting to me that, that you would show up for an audition having seen the list of songs and not at least like played through some of them. I mean, they what were, was the vibe from the other guys? Oh, you could tell it was like, oh, this is going to work. So we get through. We played maybe two or three songs with this guy. We finally found some common ground for him. Of course, some of them were songs I knew. Some of them weren't, but it didn't matter. I'm, I'm the drummer and, and I'm not nobody's expecting anything. So it's like fine. And so we get through like. Three tunes. We're in the middle of the fourth one, and he just starts packing up. And so we we finish the tune. He's like, you know, guys, it's just not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not the one you're looking for. And uh, it's like I, I and so uh, you know, I. It's like again, not my place to even have an opinion. Wait, so wait. I, did you did you sense was he packing it in because he was such a failure that night and couldn't get it done, or was he not feeling it either, or you know, or did you know, did he? You know, once he had one foot in the ground with a sound thing, his head turned know. off. I, his head was definitely turned off. Now, it may have been turned off anyway, even if he even if everything in his world, you know, went right. Yeah. Um, but that's impossible to know. But he, he definitely was like uh, at that point, he was so far out of his element that he needed to punt. Could he and, play? What's that? Yeah, he could play. I mean, he played. He, I, You know, I didn't hear a whole bunch of him, but. Uh, it was only like two and a half songs or something, but, um, but yeah, I mean, he took a solo in one tune. It was like, okay, he can play like he's capable on the instrument. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like I'm looking at their set list. Finally, they showed me a copy of it and it's like, okay, they've got like reeling in the years and Bodhisattva and roundabout on this thing. It's like, and in addition to kind of all the GB tunes that we all know, you know, no, the, no matter what's in the, the middle of the roads and those kinds of things. And I'm like, all right, well, this band would require time from someone, you know, you're not just going to show up and play Bodhisattva, right? You've, you've got to know that tune coming in. I didn't, I played it because, you know, I'm a badass. No, it, I didn't play it right either, but, um, but it's way easier on the drums than to play that on guitar. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I just, I think he realized this band just isn't just a pickup band and I need to, to like, you, you know, this isn't, I don't want to put in the work. Whether he was interested in the songs or not, or the people or whatever, but um, yeah, so he left, and uh, and the rest of us had fun for the rest for the remaining whatever two and a half hours that we were there, and we played through most of their set list. I, I'm kicking myself. Their singer didn't want to do Roundabout, and I got home, 
And I wasn't, I was like, I was a little intimidated by it because I, I, you know, I didn't know that was on their set list. And I know the song because I grew up with it and it's in my DNA, but it's been a long time since I've even played along to it, let alone played it with people. So I didn't push to play it. And I got home and I thought, man, I'm an idiot. Here I was in this group of people that all were like, know it and were ready to play it cold. And I didn't push to do that. That was kind of a, a foolish move on my part because I don't think that opportunity comes up all that often. For but, sure. Um, Roundabout's one of those holy grail songs. It's one it's, of those, you yeah. know, when guys thinking about putting together a classic rock band, they're like, oh, nobody can do this. Right. Right. That's the thing. And here were these these musicians that all had like put in the time to learn it. All I had and no and no pressure was on me. Like I could have flubbed half the song and the, the half that I didn't flub. Would it, we all would have been <laughs> totally stoked with. Yeah, it was right. stupid. I didn't do it. But uh, we got to the end and, and it was fine. Of course, they asked me again to join their band. And I said, you know, if you'd asked me two months ago. I, I like without question would have said yes. If you ask me in six months, I don't know what I'll say, but I got to like put a moratorium on saying yes to new projects for six yeah. months. I got it. Yeah. No, I hear And um, if but, it's also tempting and so good though. You know, when you come across some people that would be, oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. You, That's you the got, problem. You got to put, you got to draw the line. You Otherwise you'll have nothing to give everybody. That's the problem is, yeah, it's, it's that old Ron Swanson quote. You know, you, you can't half-ass two things. You got a whole-ass one. So, um, but they did they, – their, their guitar player said something to me at the end of the night that really – that I thought instantly. We got to at least mention this here on GigGab. He, he said to me, you know, you're really fluent in the language of, of rock and roll. And what he meant was not the musical language of rock and roll but the, the onstage communication language mm-hmm. of rock and roll. He's like – you knew like if you know, you didn't know if we did this thing four times or eight times or whatever, but you knew when to look, you knew who to look at and you knew how to interpret what these musicians you've never played with before were trying to tell you most of the time. It didn't always come around and it, there was no pressure. It was just in a yeah. room. We were the only ones. But it, it that that's a really important language for all of us to learn is is that and, and everybody speaks a slightly different dialect so you know there's a there's definitely an advantage to playing with the same people over and over again because uh, you know we we tell the story in fact we played because the night (laughs) and i had to tell him the story about how you attacked me well i know you tackled me but um but it was because you it was because i misinterpreted what you were telling me in the language of rock and roll you you know you did this big thing with your guitar and i thought you wanted to end and you were, that was not the Paul deciding to end signal. That was the right. Paul wants to rev it up signal. And of course, now I know that, but you know, so everybody has this slightly different dialect, but, but it is, there is a, I knew you wanted something big and I just chose wrong. It was a 50, 50, <laughs> the wrong big thing, the wrong 50, big, 50. right. But I knew, Oh, big, big, you know, okay. All right. Well, here's the ending. Um, not so good, but, uh, but it's an important language to learn, that language of rock and roll. And, and you got to, especially when you're playing with musicians that you don't just instinctively know because of experience together, you have to really look around and think about, all right, where are we in this song? If, if you don't know where you are, thinking about where are we and what, what, are the, what are the most likely options for this particular fork in the road that we're, we're approaching – and then try and gauge what someone's telling you that option is. Well, that's cool. So actually, that's a great show. We should kind of talk about because because actually the language has the same nouns and verbs in it, regardless of the dialect. It's just right. you know, the way that you signal them. Yeah, we should do that show because I bet I bet every leader out there or every player out there, yeah, has this moment that comes at a show where they want something to happen, 
and they think they're being clear to the rest of the band and they don't get what they plan for. And it's it's disheartening. Right. And, you know, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're you've got your act together so much that a leader or a front man will rehearse and say, when I do this, do this. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. But there's also those things that happen in the moment and, and sometimes they're not rehearsed. But that'd be a fun show to kind of go through. What are the common things? Yeah. That uh, that a front man or a leader would ask for or, or you know, a side man as well. You know, if he wants to go around another time on a solo or something like that. Yeah. If, how do if you your band is that, that way. Yeah. yeah. And, All right. Yeah. All right. New show I, I idea. Like it. Okay, good. So that's what I got for this week. I have my first rehearsal. Speaking of Uptown Celebration, I have my first rehearsal with them uh, tomorrow. Excellent. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to good that, luck. especially after, you know, effectively declining this other thing that I know would be fun. I'm pretty sure Uptown Celebration is going to be fun, but I've only played with these guys for, you know, an, an hour at most. So and wait, was, you so, have a you have a rehearsal coming up and you have a whole library of songs are we expected to become prepared with all of them to this first rehearsal or they give you a subset or you get to choose or how does it work? Um, I could have chosen, but uh, what I did instead was I went through and I told them, I said, you know, cause they said, here's the list of songs that we want to uh, focus on for, for this year. We want to have in the queue for this year. And it was like yeah, 60 or 70 songs, whatever it was. And, and I, so I said, okay, fine. So I went through it and I checked off all the ones that I already like know how to play. And, uh, and I also checked off the ones that I know how to sing and, you know, not to step on anyone's toes, but just to say, here, here's here's who I am vocally. Here's what my my sort of my wheelhouse is. And, and I don't need to sing anything. You know, that it's fine. Do you have any lead vocal chores so, in this band? I do. Um, but it's been interesting what they've been assigning to me because it's not any of the songs that I tell them I can I can uh, I can sing or that I, I've sang before. And, uh, you know, one of them is like Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. Great song for a band like this. Totally should be in the set list. I've played it, you know, a million times. It, it's it always goes over well. But I can sing everything except mm-hmm. for the last line of the second and 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 later choruses because it's just it's just right at my break. I can sing it falsetto fine, but it's just outside of my range. And and so I I and then of course when the song modulates at the end, the the, the that entire part is out of my range. And uh, and so I sent him a note and I said, look. But this will be a good test. I, I said, you know, hey, here's here's what I know. Uh, here's what I can do in this song. I know the whole thing, but here's what I can do. Here's where I can't deliver all on my own. I've got some ideas about how to uh, how to how to maybe mask that inside of a harmony. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how this band can work with that sort of a you know a concept and and all yeah. of that. Yeah. So, so they picked, uh, they picked, uh, you know, maybe 25 of the tunes for us to know on Monday. And I would say at least half of them were the songs that I had checked off that I knew and half weren't. And uh, that's fine. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's good. And so, um, so I've been woodshedding a little bit more than a little bit and, um, we'll see how we're going to report next week. Huh? I will. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Good luck. Go get them. Thanks, man. Yeah, it should be fine. You know. All right, folks. Well, I think that's uh, that's all we got for this week, right, Paul? Enough. That's enough. All right. Well, find us on Facebook, uh, giggabpodcast.com slash Facebook. You can email us feedback at giggabpodcast.com. I hope you have a stellar week, my friend. You have a good one. Thanks, man. Always be performing, folks. Always be performing. Even in rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs>